Hello, babies. How are y'all doing? I am in an especially good mood today because my mom is in town this week. And yesterday we had a lazy day. She got in from Nashville and we just chilled out. We binged the entire first season of You on Netflix. She'd never seen it before. And if you have never seen it before, it is about a man named Joe who... um, He stalks and kills people, okay? There's a lot more to it, but you can Google at your leisure if you want to. But, you know, if Joe was not a serial killer and a stalker, he'd actually be a pretty decent person. He's also really cute. But what I like about him so much is he has this amazing love for books and literature that I can really appreciate. And when we first meet Joe, he works at this bookstore that sells like rare and out of print books and stuff like that. Unfortunately, he uses the basement for nefarious purposes. But, you know, watch the show if you haven't. It's pretty good. It's also very outlandish. I used to work at a bookstore. There was no creepy basement, thank goodness. But it is a dream of mine to own a bookstore one day. I love books. I love reading. I especially love used bookstores. They smell so good. Bookstores and books are my happy places. Books are an escape for me. When I was younger, I would read something that moved me or something that I recognized as being superbly crafted. And I would put that book under my pillow in order to absorb the talents to like, I don't know, become a writer by osmosis somehow. I actually still do that sometimes <laughs> as, a, as an adult. It's not logical, but that's how much I love books. But, you know, a couple of years ago, I started having trouble reading and staying focused. I could not read beyond a paragraph at a time. I no longer found pleasure in the act of reading. And that really upset me. And that's when I knew that something was going wrong with me. And so I talked to a friend of mine and I realized that I was experiencing a level of depression that I had not experienced before, which really freaked me out. Not being able to read, it felt like my life was leaking away from me. It just, it made me miserable. So that friend that I talked to, she had a referral for me for a psychiatrist who then prescribed a medicine and gave me an actual real diagnosis for my depression. Like I knew I had depression, but I never had it officially diagnosed. So I finally got that taken care of. And I got a prescription for a medicine that helped me better manage that depression. And that brought my love of reading back into my life. And I felt so much better. I was reading. It felt like I was back in junior high school when all I had to do was read and I could read a book a day and it just felt so good. And when I talked to my psychiatrist after, you know, I was on the medicine for a while and we checked in and before I even told her that I was reading again, she was just like, you look so good. You look like you're glowing. And I was like, I'm reading again. Like that was the most important thing for me about getting well with my mental health. I just want to be able to sit and read a book and thank goodness I'm able to do that. I don't know where I would be without books, not as a writer or a person in general. And my guest today feels pretty much the same. I met Tracy Thomas recently when she asked me to be a guest on her podcast called The Stacks, where Tracy talks to people about their reading habits. She talks to authors about how they wrote their books and their favorite books and their least favorite books and anything in between. I knew I had to have her on to talk about her love of books and why reading is so important. 
This episode is sponsored by Dipsy. Everyone needs an escape, but those can be hard to come by right now. Enter Dipsy. Let yourself get lost in a world where good things happen and where your pleasure is the only priority. Dipsy is an app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. They release new content every week, so there's always more to explore. They also have wellness sessions and how-tos to learn, explore, and care for yourself. Bedtime stories and soundscapes with calming sounds to drift off to, like ocean waves or rain. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash thisisgood. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash thisisgood. dipsystories.com slash thisisgood. My name is Tracy Thomas. I am the host of The Sacks, which is a podcast all about books and reading. And that is how I met you. I was a guest on your podcast to talk about my book. And then you invited me back to talk about another book, which I had not read in a long time. We talked about Waiting to Exhale. And you were just like, I want to come talk about books on your show. And I was like, yes, that is perfect. (laughs) I invited myself on like a real bully, (laughs) a book bully. (laughs) No, it was great. I, I really appreciated that you did that. I'm so excited to talk to you about books because books are... My favorite thing in the world, reading is my favorite thing in the world. When I get to a point in my life where I'm not able to read or focus, I feel really, really lost. So when did you realize that reading was important to you? How old were you? Gosh, you know, I always read as a child. Like I remember loving books, but I was not one of those kids who was like always at the library or like it wasn't my full identity ever in my life until I started the podcast, really. I mean, not that it's my full identity now, but (laughs) I was always doing other things. I was a dancer. I was an actress, but I always really liked stories and I always really liked books. And I think it wasn't until I left New York and moved to LA where I am now. And when I first moved to LA, I basically stopped reading for the first time in my life because in New York, you can read on the subway. You know, there's lots of waiting time in New York. And in LA, you have your car. So you're not really reading. And I wasn't into audiobooks at the time. I love them now, but I wasn't into them at the time. And I basically stopped reading. And then I made a challenge for myself to start reading in 2016. And I said, you know, the goal is to read one book a month, to read 12 books in the year. And I did it. And I was really proud of myself. And then the next year, I was like, okay, your goal is 13 books. And then something clicked in me in 2017. And I ended up reading twice as many as I was supposed to. And I just like fell back in love with reading. But I don't think I realized how much I loved it until it was sort of missing Mm. from my life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And is that when you moved to audiobooks? At one point, did you move to audiobooks? I really didn't start doing audiobooks until I started doing the podcast because I was just trying to read as much as possible. So I would use audiobooks kind of in the in-between time. And I thought that I didn't like them, but I think I was reading the wrong ones for me. You know, like I think audiobooks, even more so than reading from the page, in my experience, I have to have the exact right audiobook for my mood. It has to be the exact right narrator. And if I'm not into it, I just can't. 
I can't possibly get through it. Whereas sometimes with a book, I can just push through even if I'm not totally in the mood for it. So I probably got into audiobooks like maybe three or four years ago. So what is your favorite genre of literature? I love nonfiction. I love a really good memoir. I love history books or true crime, but not small murder. I like big like corporate crime. So like that book, Bad Blood, about Elizabeth Theranos, mm-hmm. like about corruption. I just uh, read a book about WeWork. So like those kind of books. Like I like dark, charismatic leader who's evil. So <laughs> like I love books about Jonestown, which is really dark and bleak. But that's like one of my favorite things to read about. Really good essays. Like that's why I loved your book. I just love, I love nonfiction. I love an essay. And that's probably where I most comfortably read. And what is your least favorite genre? So I don't love literary fiction. I like plot. That's very general because literary fiction is so general, but I don't love when nothing happens and it's just like this person is feeling things and observing things. Like I need I need something to happen. <laughs> if the whole book is just like you're thinking about this thing that happened to you, I'm bored. And I feel like a lot of newer fiction, that's a place that people like to be. And I don't like to be there. Mm, That's fair. That's fair. That's really interesting because most people will, I guess, the gatekeepers, right, for literature. They want to act like literary fiction is the end-all, be-all, right? Mm -hmm. Like it is. Mm -hmm. If you don't like literary fiction, then you don't like literature. But I think that's really interesting that you're just like, I need something more than than feelings happening. (laughs) Yeah, I think they're like recently, maybe in the last 10, maybe 20 years, I don't know. So recently in the history of literature, there's been a movement away from books having both plot and character and this idea that, oh, this is a plot-driven book or a character-driven book. And I just don't ascribe to that. I think that a good story should have both. And so a lot of literary fiction now is kind of being like forced into one of those categories. And if it's being forced into the character category, it's a no for me. But when I think about the greats, like I think about Toni Morrison, she does plot and characters incredibly well. And I mean, that was the literary fiction of the time. Now, I think we'd say it's classic literature, but that was her literary fiction. And I wish there was more of that. Obviously, I wish there was more Toni Morrison. <laughs> Some spoiler alert. <laughs> really hot take. <laughs> so most people use, when you know, when you ask people, why do you love reading so much? And they all say, oh, it's an escape from the real world. But you really like being in that real world with these corporate espionage, you know, these kinds of books like that. What is it about that world that appeals to you? I like to learn. I'm a super curious person. I think that's, you know, why I started my podcast is I wanted to ask people more questions. I wanted to dig deeper. And so I love going into a book where it's a topic that I'm maybe a little bit interested in or maybe not even interested in and want to learn about it. So for me, I read to dive deeper and not to get out of life because I think that reading is, even if you use it as an escape, I think reading is inherently political. I think that it is active. I think that it, says a lot about who you are and how you view the world. And so for me, I'd like to think that reading is a way for me to kind of expand my worldview. And that means diving deeper into understanding, you know, how can this happen? How was this allowed? Who are the people that make these things happen? Who are the victims? Like all of that stuff is super interesting to me. 
I never thought of it like that uh, as a way of expanding your real world view um, and recognizing this is a pattern that's been established throughout history and we are following that pattern. That's really interesting because I typically stay away from nonfiction. I'm the opposite of yeah. what you've explained because I'm just kind of like, uh, I, I this is <laughs> too real. I don't want it. <laughs> what was the book or maybe a set of books that really changed the way you looked at reading, like just set your world on fire? Gosh, that's so hard. I think the books that really stick with me that have changed my understanding of my place in the world, but not so much my feelings about reading. In 2017, I read within a few months of each other, Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson, Blood in the Water by Heather Ann Thompson, and Evicted by Matthew Desmond. All of these really incredible narrative nonfiction stories about incarceration, about the experience of Black people in America. And they range from pretty dense, I would say The New Jim Crow is a pretty dense book, to incredibly readable nonfiction like Just Mercy, which basically reads almost as a novel. And I think those books really shaped my understanding of what is in books, like what can be in books, what radical thinking, what human thinking, what the ways that we can empathize with each other and also be calling for a better world or a better future. And also they're just like, The Warmth of Other Suns is one of the greatest books I've ever read in my life. And it's so beautiful. And the writing is so beautiful. And also it's jam-packed with American history from 19, like, 17 until the 1970s. And it's just such a feat of what an author can do. So for me, sort of that period of reading in my life was pretty extraordinary. Mm. And how do you make time to read? Because you have a family, you're working, (laughs) right? So how do you carve out this time for yourself in order to read? So I have twins that are now almost two. So I started the podcast before I had children. I had a different job. I was teaching fitness at the time. It was sort of a hobby. And I was just reading, like I said, kind of as a challenge to myself. And then as the show grew and I was able to sort of transition out of my other job into doing this as more full-time, I was also able to carve out more full-time hours to read. So I read a lot but I have to make time for it. Like I have to, I do that, you know, those Pomodoro method where it's like 25 minutes on, five minutes off. I'll do that for myself when I read because it is my job now, which has changed my relationship to it in some ways, but also allows me to say, I'm demanding this time to do this thing that I love, which I think is really a blessing. So how exactly has it changed for you? So I don't always get to read what I want to read when I want to read it or ever, because I'm reading for the podcast, I'm reading for interviews, I'm hosting events with authors. And so, you know, one thing about me that I don't know that it's rare, but I know that it's true for me is that every single book that we do on the podcast, I read the entire book. And sometimes that means I'm reading something that I'm not that into. You know, sometimes that means that I'm having to force myself to finish a book that in the past I would just be like, oh, this wasn't that good. But on the flip side, I'm also picking up books that I would never have necessarily read. Like we did Anna Karenina on the show. And that's just not a classic that I was ever interested in even a little bit. But because we picked it, I read it. So it sort of has just changed how I am more open to books. Like I'm not always picking what I want to read. Mm. So for your podcast, if you read a book, 
that you do not like, do you actually say, I do not like this book on your podcast? It depends. So if I'm reading a book on the podcast to interview the author of the book, I will not be an asshole. Like That's not why I have the podcast. I'm not trying to be like, your book sucked. But also a lot of the times when I have guests on the show, even though it's about their book, sometimes it's just someone that I really want to talk to and they happen to have a book out. And I always can find something nice to say about a book. Like There's always so much good. It just might not have been for me or whatever. But on the flip side of that, I also have an Instagram page at the Stacks Pod. One of my commitments to myself when I started it was I review every single book that I read. And I will give an honest review. And that usually includes books that I've done on the show that I didn't love and saying, this is what I liked about it. This is what I didn't like. And you can hear more from the author on the episode. So I try to be really honest for two reasons. One, I think there's this phenomenon going on right now where everyone loves everything. And I just don't think that's real life. (laughs) And two, I think if my job is to be someone who encourages reading and encourages folks to find books that they love, I have to be honest about the books that I love and don't love because otherwise, how could you ever trust a recommendation? So that's sort of how I look at it. But again, I try to be generous and kind and not be a total asshole. Even if a book is problematic or racist or whatever, I try to be like, this is what I didn't like. I try not to say, this author is a real jerk and they're racist and they suck and the book was bad. Like I would never approach it in that way. That's really nice. I appreciate that. (laughs) I don't read reviews of my book. So I feel like I'm two different people, right? I am an author and this is my book. And then I'm also a reader. And I recognize that a lot of bookstagram, Goodreads, stuff like that, they're not for the author. They're for other readers. And so I would encourage authors not to read your reviews. Like I know you want to make sure that people are understanding your book and that it's resonating with people, but it doesn't always resonate with everyone and it's not always going to reach people. And then when you read the review that's maybe not positive or maybe it's just lukewarm or something, then you get like all mixed up and you you feel compelled to respond. And I recently saw on your uh, on the Stacks Instagram where you were asking that question like should authors respond to negative reviews? Or it was something like that. Yeah. And I yeah. say no, but I do understand the instincts because I almost responded to something where someone completely misunderstood something from my book and I almost responded, but I took a step back and I asked my agent and, you know, I just kind of like ranted a little bit to her and she was just like, you know, take a couple of days. If you still feel like you want to respond, then don't, (laughs) you know, she was still just like, don't. Um, But, you know, it was still very helpful to know that I could take the time to assess my feelings and make sure that I did not encroach in the space that was not for me in the first place, right? Right. So um, I wonder how, what was your end result from that discussion that you had? So I found it really interesting. One of the things you mentioned that I just want to reiterate is like the stacks and my page and who I think that I am in the world is I'm a reader. And the tagline for the show is the stacks, a show about books and the people who read them. It's not a show about the people who write them, right? Like this isn't a writing podcast. It's really centered on the reading. And of course, we talk about the writing, but it's a show for people who love books, not necessarily people who write them. And so that's sort of the angle also on the Instagram and my reviews. And so 
you know, a lot of people chimed in and said, I only tag authors if it's a really good review or I'm not nervous that an author might respond to me. But in my experience, I don't tag authors ever, even if I think it's my favorite book of the year and I put that in my review because I'm not writing it to get brownie points from that person. And I feel like tagging them is just making them have to see it. And like, I don't know, it's none of their business to me, what I think of their book, really. And it, I understand the impulse, though. Like, I read reviews of my podcast on iTunes, and mm-hmm. I have feelings about that. And sometimes, you know, they're very mean. And that's it. That's art. Like, I went to theater school. I like to think that I'm an artist in some ways and a creative. And that's part of it. Like, the discussion around the thing is why we make the things that we make as creatives. And so... I had some authors say interesting things, one of which was that I found to be really, really astute was that because authors are so intertwined with one another, they can never truly share their honest thoughts about books in any public space unless the author is dead or whatever, right? Like they could say something about Shakespeare. So when someone critiques their work, they sometimes respond because it's finally a chance to like defend themselves or like say what they want to say. And they feel comfortable doing that on Instagram because it's not the New York Times, right? Like they're not writing scathing responses to the New York Times reviews of books that don't like them. So I thought that was interesting of sort of like, it's a space for authors too. And of course, if you put anything on social media, it's open for response and critique. But my question was more, are people on Bookstagram who are reviewing books for other readers, are they changing how they're reviewing for fear that an author might engage with them or an author might see it? And are they changing their thoughts or choosing not to review books, which is I heard a lot of people say, I just won't review books I don't like because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And I think that sort of changes the review space, which is why I commit to reviewing every single book that I read. Even if I know the author follows me, I'm like, I'm sorry. Ultimately, this is my commitment to the people who follow me, who listen to the show. Like that's who I said that I am. And so that's sort of where I have started and ended back up. I, I didn't, nothing really changed except yeah. for that I got more annoyed with people who tag authors. I'm like, stop doing it. Stop <laughs> tagging them. How would you like it? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I like what you said. Like it's none of your business really. I mean, because that's kind of how I end up feeling, you know, it's not any of my business, how you feel about me and the book, but thank you for reading. Like, you know, yeah, it, it yeah. kind of ends up being at that point. And you got to write a whole book. You know, it's like I get to write three paragraphs. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't have an editor helping me. Like, I wish I could be a better writer. I'm not a writer, but I feel like it's like you got to write this whole beautiful book and you feel proud of it and you wrote it. And there's probably for every bad review, there's probably like 10, 20 really nice positive reviews. And it's like, you know what? Just flex with your book. You know, like take a picture, take a selfie, text your group chat. Like that's what I always say. I'm like, when someone says something mean about me, I take a screenshot and I send it to my group chat. And I'm like, this was mean. I hate them. I hope they die. And then I move on with my day. You know, like that's why you have friends. That's why you have a community. I don't know. I just don't think you need to take it out on people who review books as a hobby. Yeah. You know, like I get it if you want to take it out on me, I guess, because it's more professional for me. But Sometimes I'm just like, why are you yelling at this person with 200 followers who said that your book wasn't their favorite? Like, get a grip. (laughs) What is your favorite format to read? We talked about audiobooks earlier. So are you a hardback, paperback, e-reader? 
I like all forms for different reasons, like a real <laughs> cop-out answer. I use my e-reader for... I'm on NetGalley, which is a website that has advanced copies of books. And during the pandemic, I got more into my e-reader because publishers weren't sending out advanced copies. But also, I like to use my e-reader when I read in the bathtub because I can turn all the lights out and that still has a light and I don't have to put my book lamp on. So that's when I mostly e-read. I would say about 60% of my reading is done on a physical book. Paperback or hardcover just depends on what I have. And then 30% or so is... um, That doesn't add up. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I think about 25% of my reading is... I have it all tracked on a spreadsheet like a real nerd. But I would say a quarter and a quarter are audio and E. And then 50% is hardcover or paperback. Yeah. So I found... I can't remember. Someone shared it on Twitter, but a spreadsheet where you can keep track of all the books that you're reading. And it has these different categories like that, like hardback, paperback, e-reader. Was it an advanced copy? You put it in the genre and all that kind of stuff. So is that what's on your spreadsheet? (laughs) My spreadsheet is so intense. Um, I have an obsession with Excel spreadsheets, but uh, it's book name, author name, publishing imprint, big publishing house, or if it's independent, academic, whatever, Um, how many pages in the book, how many hours in the audiobook if I did that, where I got the book, if I bought the book, where I bought it, it was in an independent bookstore, was it Barnes & Noble, was it Libro FM, Um, how much I paid for the book, what the genre is, the author's identity. I like to keep... Because I set a lot of goals around like trying to make sure my reading is diverse. And so, you know, is it a female author? Is it a non-gender non-conforming author? Black, white, mixed, Native American. So I have all of that stuff there. Um, I also track if the book came out in the year that I read it. So like 2021 releases versus books I've had since before 2021. I track all sorts of stuff in my reading. (laughs) I love that so much. I could never do it because I just, (laughs) I'm not that organized. The other thing that my tracker does, just to brag about my Excel skills, is that (laughs) I have it so that I can see the average pages per day that I read and like how long it takes me to read a book. And then I can also see like how much the books that I've read have cost me. So like, I love to do all of that. (laughs) Can I ask, how much money do you spend a year on your books? Okay, so this is a perk of my job. Okay. I do not spend that much money on books anymore because I get sent books in advance and I read them usually before they come out. And so that's all free. So I've spent $300 on books so far this year, which isn't too bad. Okay, yeah, that's pretty solid, I think. That's really good. I also use my library too, to be fair. I do all my almost all my audiobooks through my library unless I'm using Libro FM and I do a lot of my ebooks through my library. That's how I established my love of reading when I was little. My mom would take us to the library and then I was walking to the library by myself and uh, it was just a great magical place for me and I still love the library and I just hope libraries never go out of business. I love them so much. Libraries are the best and people don't think of them, but they're so great and they have so many resources. And again, I use my library for about 20, 25 books a year, according to my spreadsheet. And I never had to go into my library because of the pandemic. I don't even think my local library is open right now, but I can do it all through apps, through an app called Libby is what I use, but it's synced to my library. And so I can get the books right to my phone to listen to or to read on my e-reader. And it's so easy and great. And that's an incredible service that libraries offer. 
I love it. Uh, And you mentioned earlier that you have a set of twins and they're still pretty young and maybe just kind of getting into bedtime stories or at least maybe like recognizing the kinds of books that they want you to read to them. Yeah. How do you feel that you are modeling a reading life for them? I mean, we have books all over our house. Like I have don't have enough bookshelves. So they see books everywhere. Their bookshelves are so packed. They love books. Like that's one of the words they say is book, book, book. They love certain books at certain times. Like they'll find and pull the same one off the shelf. For me, I just, I like to read or when I'm around them so that they see that I read for fun. And I hope to just encourage them to keep reading whatever they want to read. I think that a lot of ways that parents and teachers can mess with kids' interest in books is by saying, oh, that's not reading, like if it's a graphic novel or something, or saying, oh, you need to read this kind of book, or why haven't you read, you know, Roll Doll or something? Like, I don't know, the kid's not interested. Let them read about dinosaurs. Who cares? Like, it's reading. Yeah. Same with audiobooks. Like, if a kid wants to listen to a book, I think that parents and teachers should let them and encourage it and not say, oh, that's not reading, because it is, and it's ableist to yes. pretend that audiobooks are not reading. Exactly. Are you able to find a good collection of diverse books to read to your kids? Yes. So that's one of the greatest things about being on Bookstagram and like being in the space where people are posting about books on Instagram all the time. There's a niche for basically everything. And there's some really great accounts that talk about children's books and young people's books. So I have my eye out for that. But there's some really great ones. Well, so here's the thing about children's books. And Mm. so I don't want to get in trouble for this. But there's been a push recently for children's books to be about black and brown characters, but written by white authors, Mm. which is an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know a ton about children's books, so I can't speak to the what's going on there. But I have noticed it. Like a book that I really love called Jabari Jumps, I'm pretty sure is written by a white woman. But it's a it's a very sweet book. It's about this little black boy who's scared to jump off the diving board and his dad encourages him and he does it. (laughs) Uh, Of course he does. But there's there's so many good children's books. And I think like while who the author is certainly matters for me with young children, I also just want them to see pictures of themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. and the politics behind the other part of it. I feel like something I have to deal with and find. But there's that I think that the book is called I Am Everything Good. And that's written by a black author that I can't remember the name. And it's about like young black boys and how great they are. And there's a book called Black is a Rainbow Color that I just love. There's so many great diverse. I mean, we have a book about fry bread, which is a Native American food that is so great. They're there. They're certainly there. And so whatever it is that, you know, you want your kids to see in these picture books, like it exists and they're good and they're beautiful. Mm. How would you describe if you could try to convince someone who's not a reader to get into reading, what would you say to them? I would say to them, pick up books that excite you and interest you just from the outside, whether that's the cover or the flap or that someone told you they think you might like. Don't try to read the thing you think you should read. Read the thing that's calling out to you. And in the same breath, if it's not working, put it down, walk away. I think people feel like they have to finish every book. And why? You're not in school unless you're me and you actually have to finish the book. Like, put it down. You're not going to win any awards for finishing this book. Like, it's not, 
Like, you know, and the Oscar goes to random person who finished one book today. Like, so don't punish yourself. The other thing I tell people who are getting back into reading, and this was really helpful for me, is put your phone on airplane mode and get yourself set up in a place that you want to read with everything that you need right around you. So for me, that looks like I have my socks, I have my tea, I have my water, I have some sort of snack usually, I have a blanket. I have my phone that I put on airplane mode. And sometimes if I'm feeling sleepy, I set a timer so that it will wake me up if I fall asleep because yes, I too fall asleep reading like everyone else. (laughs) But I try to really carve out like a special place to read, especially when I was getting back into reading, like making it something special for me and getting rid of all the excuses. I also use the bathroom before I sit down to read so that it's like, oh, I have to pee now. Like really creating that space for yourself and giving yourself permission to read whatever you want and to not read whatever you want. Mm. And what would you say reading has brought into your life? Oh my God, I'm going to cry like so much, right? Oh my gosh, how could you even say? I think I've learned so much. I think it's broadened my curiosity. Obviously, the podcast, I've been able to connect with so many people that inspire me. I'm going to cry. I'm so, I'm so embarrassing. <laughs> so many people that inspire me and have challenged me and have opened doors for me. There's just so many authors and other readers who have been so gracious and encouraging and have believed in me in ways that I've never believed in myself, which is weird. And that all stemmed from starting the show and diving deeper into my love of books. And then in the Bookstagram community, I've created some really meaningful, lasting friendships with people, some of who I've never met because we met online and some of who I have met, which is like the best. And I think that books have also challenged me in a way that no other form of like culture, whether it be plays or movies or TV or the news or music has. like They've really pushed my thinking in a way that other mediums have not been able to. And so I'm forever grateful. The thing that pops into my mind is in the course of the show and reading, I feel like I have moved from being some sort of like police reformist into, I think I can say that I'm an abolitionist. And I think that's come from like a lot of the reading that I've done. And that's just my particular, you know, cause whatever they say. But there are other things that I'm sure, depending on what you're interested in, could push you. I'm started reading environmental books now recently. And so now I'm starting to get like much more curious about global warming in ways. And so those are just a few things that books have brought into my life. <laughs> <laughs> They're perfect things. They're perfect things. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show with me today. I really appreciate that. Where can our listeners find you online? The Stacks episodes come out every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcast, just search The Stacks. If you want to find the episode with Nicole, type in The Stacks, Nicole Perkins, you'll find them. You can find me on Instagram at The Stacks Pod and on Twitter at The Stacks Pod underscore. And then the website is thestackspodcast.com. And I will say this, not to be really creepy and plug myself, but my reading tracker, I have a Patreon because I'm an independent podcast. And it's one of the perks that I give every year is the link to my reading tracker. So if you're really interested, in that, you can go to patreon.com slash the stacks since I talked about my reading tracker so much. But I, Nicole, I'll send you the link. Ah, thank you. I feel special. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Hey, guess what? It's time for today's indulgence. I'm going to tell you something that you can enjoy shamelessly. 
without guilt, without fear of being talked about. It's all for you. Say no. There are many reasons we feel bad about saying no, including the fear of not being nice. And it starts really early, right? You know, when we're toddlers and we say no to hugging a relative or a family friend with bad vibes and someone tells us, that's not nice, don't say no, go over there and hug so-and-so. And it continues well until we're in the workplace. We're expected to take on too much work just to be nice in order to be a team player. Or sometimes you feel like you have to take on extra assignments so people will see that you're a hard worker for the promotion or to get a pay raise or something like that. But sometimes you end up stretching yourself way too thin. Something falls through the cracks. You can't keep an eye on all the plates that you're spinning. Give yourself permission to say no. Between my recent book promotion stuff and my regular professional life, I recently bit off more than I could chew. But people kept offering me stuff. They would give me like, here's a scoop of this and maybe a scoop of that. And I didn't want to appear rude by turning down all these plates of opportunities, right? But I also knew that if I took one more bite, I would be sick. I had to say no to several things. And at first, I worried I would lose valuable connections or people would think I was being stuck up or that I thought I was too good to do any of this stuff. But I realized that if people really want to feed you, they'll come back around with something more suited to your palate. I've run this metaphor to the ground, okay? But I hope that you understand that taking on too much can be bad for you. You want to prove you're a superhero who can take on everything thrown at you? But remember, even superheroes have to choose their battles and are sometimes forced to rest. Say no. Handle the load you have and then see what else you can take. Don't worry about being nice or think you might be missing out on something. Saying no is a fine way of taking care of yourself. So treat yourself to no. This has been your indulgence. You have been absolved. This is Good For You is hosted by me, Nicole Perkins, and produced by Multitude. Our lead producer is Eric Silver. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. And our executive producers are Amanda McLaughlin and me. Our theme was created by Don Will, and our art is by Jessica E. Boyd. You can follow the show at This Is Good Pod, and you can follow me at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That's T-N, whiskey with an E, woman. And a huge, huge thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon, especially to our supporting producer-level patrons, Chelsea, Conchetta, Courtney, and Elizabeth. To get exclusive rewards like stickers, monthly playlists curated by me, and even custom drabbles written just for you, join us for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. This was good for me. Was it good for you? <laughs>